0: Welcome to the SLP Stress Management Podcast, your place to manage stress, reduce burnout, and find more balance in your life as an SLP. I'm your host, Jesse Andrix, and I am so excited today to have Leanne Porter from the Speech Uncensored Podcast here with me. Welcome, Leanne.
1: Hi, thanks, Jesse. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited about joining you
0: to talk about managing SLP stress. Yes, I'm so excited to have you on here. I know we have done this in reverse. I was on your podcast a while back and we talked about um, some of my experiences and and things. so I'm really excited to flip this around and talk about all that you are doing in our field and for our field and, uh, you know, some of your insights and journeys through all of the, the crazy stress that can happen <laughs> in Ooh, being an yeah. SLP. <laughs> oh yeah. Let's talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. So, so I know when we first like met and started talking about stuff, we both talked a lot about, um, Or we chatted a bit about, like, our experiences with mindfulness and trying to, like, figure out what the heck we were doing with most of it, Mm -hmm. Um, which I think a lot of SLPs do. Like, we try to figure things out on our own. Mm -hmm. Stress-related. Yeah, like, stress-related and not stress-related. Just, like, SLP-related. We, like, go out there and we're like, I'll just, you know. figure this out and uh sometimes it works and sometimes it totally doesn't or it just takes way longer so for for people that may not know you for listeners that may not know you or maybe haven't tuned into your podcast which they totally should because it's awesome um what like tell us a little bit about where you are as an slp kind of like your settings or your history with it a little bit so we can get to know you a little better Sure.
1: Okay. So hi, I'm Leanne. Um, Currently, I'm in Kansas City, and I work in outpatient with adults for a hospital system. And I also PRN for another hospital system in town where I work on inpatient rehab. So for my home hospital where I'm the primary outpatient therapist, um, whenever my caseload dips or if I have to work uh, a weekend day, I work on inpatient rehab and acute there as well. So my primary setting is outpatient, but I also see the other levels of care um, in the medical setting for adults. So um, if you're an outpatient therapist, you're basically a generalist. Like You kind of have to know a little bit about nearly everything because you will get All kinds of crazy referrals sometimes where you're like, I didn't even know that was something we treated. And you do a little research and it turns out you do. So (laughs) um, being an outpatient therapist has really been eye-opening and stressful. So (laughs) um, I came to the field as an out of field uh, student. Like I did my undergraduate work in international studies. And then worked for a few years, and then um, started grad school like in my m- late twenties. Wow. So, yeah,
0: yeah, that's not the traditional. I mean, well, I don't even know if there's like a traditional route for it anymore. I hear so many different stories that, like, I was like the CSd undergrad straight into grad school. Like that was that was mine, which I actually had a. Um, <laughs> I had a clinical supervisor tell me that was the worst decision I could have possibly made. And I was like, what, why are you saying that? And she was like, well, now that's your only thing to ever fall back on. Like she was just saying, you know, for her. Yeah. I was like, Oh, that's, that's kind of like ballsy to come out there and say, but, um, (laughs) but you know, but, but I think it's, that's where like, I think half of my um, grad school like class half were just straight from CSD undergrad into it. And then the other half had like a few kind of related, but maybe like a few, you know, business school or maybe one or two that were like a little more out there or had taken a break. Um, but wow. And so did you end up right in outpatient like right away?
1: I did. My my first job out of grad school was in outpatient. Um, However, that one was a little more unique where actually the majority of my caseload was pediatric outpatient. And then I also saw some adults and um, I would cover for our SLP who worked in the hospital doing acute and inpatient there. And our hospital also had a skilled nursing facility and I would help out our SLP there as well. Um, So I got exposure to, like, all the adult medical settings, like, in my first placement. And I was really grateful for that. I I
0: enjoyed that a lot. Yeah, that's really amazing. That is, um, like, that's just to be exposed to all of that would be really awesome in your first year. I imagine it would also be a little bit stressful to, like, kind of bounce around a bit and Mm -hmm. have to soak up all of that in all of those settings. Yeah,
1: like, definitely looking back, and of course, in the experience, I was incredibly stressed out and overwhelmed, but for a myriad of reasons. Of course, our first year out of grad school is very much us figuring out how to do this job um, on our own, you know, and putting what we've learned into practice and growing with that and filling in the gaps that there's just no way grad school could cover, Um I even suspect grad school probably covered some things that I feel like they didn't. I just didn't remember it by the end. Yeah. <laughs> With knowledge and experience, I was like, oh, I'll just blame grad school. Like,
0: <laughs> It's true. It's a lot to soak up, but definitely, I think, uh, yeah, it's both. It's both. We forget some, and then there's just so many things that it would be impossible to hit every single thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. So now where you are, you're in outpatient, and then sometimes in inpatient. And like you said, outpatient. Um, I I have worked in outpatient with adults too. And you really are kind of thrown anyone that comes through, unless you are at like a very specific clinic for a very specific thing, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which is rare. You really do see just about everything and everyone, and have to try and f- figure it out or know what to do. And I know for me, that was my second year, um, out of grad school. That was a setting I was in with inpatient as well. And it was awesome, but I really felt a lot of the time that I had no idea what I was doing. Um, and, I would try and, you know, research, but I didn't really even know what, where to start researching things. And then I um, either felt like I had no idea what I was doing or that I was doing what I was supposed to do, but I didn't know if I was actually doing anything.
1: Yeah, that that feeling of practicing in a vacuum where you don't even know if you're doing it right or wrong because there's nobody there to give you that feedback <laughs> to say, Yeah, that was a good move. Or, ooh, girl, no, let's not do that again. Like, basically, your only feedback is the patient, but they can only give you feedback on whether or not something is helping them or working, which is great feedback. But at the same time, I needed feedback to know if it was something new to me or something I wasn't familiar with. Am I, is this a good tool? Have I found, do I even have a tool? I need to go find a tool to use with them. Like, and then the, the idea of making our therapy very personalized to and unique to the patient, because not everything is going to fit every patient, mm-hmm. um, was, was a real, a real hang-up. But like, it's still something I'm working on and trying to figure out without having to reinvent the wheel every time I see a patient, but still yeah. making the therapy unique and relevant to each of them.
0: Yeah, I think I was terrible at that. Um, because I was, you know, I was brand new when I was in it. So I was still trying to figure out what therapy to do. And then now looking back, the things that I was like, Oh, yeah, we're totally going to do this. And, and it, you know, may have worked, but I'm sure that there was something that would have been a lot more relevant or personal or like, meaningful to the patients that I saw. Um, I think that we always, you know, had a had a, a fairly good time, but yeah, that is that is definitely really hard and something that starting out or being new to a setting that's like that's incredibly stressful to figure out.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: So where where has your journey as an SLP with stress like where has it gone? Has it always been relatively easy to figure out, or have you struggled with it? How you know how has that kind of been for you?
1: Like, it feels like my entire life, I have been terrible at managing stress. Um, Like, I go back to high school. I was in the International Baccalaureate program, which is, if anyone's not familiar with it, it's like taking AP courses for every single class. Like, everything is AP. It's not just what you're good at.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say, it's not like where you like choose to take like, yeah, I'll take AP of like these three classes, but not that one.
1: Right. Like not math. I'm terrible at math, but I'll do English AP cuz I can crush it. No, like all your classes are like crazy hard and it's like a it's a a public school equivalent of like a college prep program. Mm-hmm. So it's very intensive and that is I those 4 years were such a struggle. Like I was so burnt out of school. <laughs> Graduating high school? Oh, oh no. It was it was traumatic. Um so like I just thought that that was me and that was the life I had to live was struggling to manage things that other people appeared to do with much more ease. Um, And I thought that was just my lot in life. I didn't know why I couldn't handle these things like other people appeared to be able to handle them. Mm -hmm. So then I became um, an SLP and um, I guess like through that, I learned like, the, the benefits of saying no, I don't have to be involved in every single activity. I don't have to lead every single activity. So when I learned the value of saying no and setting up boundaries, that kind of helped me. Um, well, it exposed me to less stressors. So yeah. I wasn't as constantly stressed, but then I became an SLP and I'm Lear, I'm a like a rehabbing um, perfectionist, so I'm learning, and I'm telling my patients all about how progress over perfection is our key, and so I'm living
0: that motto as well. <laughs> right? You're like I'm saying this for myself as well, not just for you.
1: That's right. It's like if I say it, if like I'm going to preach it, I'm going to live it. So that's my thing, and um, and I really struggled with wanting to do my very best. Not sure if I was doing that, and feeling like I could be doing better. And that puts a lot of internal stress and pressure on me. Um, In addition to like all the other things kind of going on in my life. Mm -hmm. So I... You know, I don't know where exactly you hear it from first, but like I'm exposed to a lot of different avenues of information, and so I'd heard about mindfulness. I've heard about meditation. I'd practiced um, yoga from like my favorite YouTube <laughs> tutorial guy, and so those things were helpful. But I wasn't I didn't I didn't understand it. I didn't have the background. I didn't have a foundation in it. So I was just kind of limping along in it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And when I started my podcast. Speech Uncensored, I wanted to really focus on burnout because those first two years I joined a Facebook group for SLPs
0: looking for a way out of this profession. (laughs) Yes, I'm in that group. (laughs) There are thousands and thousands of people in that group, a lot. Um, Yeah, I joined it when I came back to the field because when I left, I left for like five years. And when I left, Facebook groups weren't a thing yet. And so when I came back and I joined them, I joined that one just like, as a, just in case, um, in case it like didn't work out again. And there are thousands and thousands of people Mm -hmm. in that group. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, uh,
1: it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, one thing I learned through my, my journey through learning mindful practices and learning how to manage stress, um, is that you know, I do like this job and I do want to continue to do this job. It really wasn't the job that was the problem. Um, Essentially, it was me. Not saying like I'm a huge problem, but I needed to learn a lot and I, I needed to have better tools. And when I started using those tools, oh, wow. Like I've seen really excellent changes and I'm not done yet. I still have a lot of more work to do, but I am, I can tell, I can tell a huge difference. It's been fantastic.
0: Yeah, it, that that's so key too, is knowing like that it's okay to not know at first. Like you said, like you just kind of like jumped in and you were like, I don't even know what I'm doing or like if this is, you know, which things to do. But as you learn more, it helped just so much. Um, and you can tell now. That's mm-hmm. for me, like I know that stress is always going to be there and I get really stressed out um, still, even though I'm like, let's all manage our stress. Like, Mm-hmm. I still get incredibly stressed out from work, from life, but now I know how to recognize it better and mm-hmm. then figure out what to do. and it takes me a while to get there. Like I usually fight it first and I'm like, no, this is yeah. not fair.
1: <laughs> like, I'm over here like I'm not stressed. I'm totally not
0: stressed at all, <laughs> right? I'm not stressed. you're just being ridiculous right now, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: I think I kind of skipped ahead. What I'm learning now as I get more into it is that I skipped ahead. I wanted to learn the tools. And what I skipped over that I need to spend more time on now is learning what my stress triggers are. Mm -hmm. Because the other thing I have found is that when I'm not paying attention, certain things are stressing me out and I'm not aware until it comes to a tipping point. And then suddenly I'm snapping at my husband over like nothing. And I'm like, well, that's <laughs> that's not right. That's not good. <laughs> Why are you doing that Leanne? So, you know, it's, it's a huge part that I need to kind of go back and learn now are what are the, the triggers for my stress and, and being aware of them and recognizing them better. Like I'm really happy, I have tools now. So now when I am experiencing really obvious moments I can sit with it. I can recognize it. I can be non-judgmental. That was a huge thing for me. I was like, turns out I am super judgy on myself. Like, whoa. Um, once I started yeah. self-compassion, big change. Like, and it's not like I just give myself permission to get away with things. It's like, no, I'm just being kinder to myself. Just like I want to be kind to my patients. And just like I am kind to my patients. Like, and I tell them that too, you know, you'll get patients that are so hard on themselves. They give themselves such a hard time. And I'm like, oh my goodness, you have had a like significant traumatic medical experience here. Like cut yourself some slack. Once again, like turning the mirror around on myself, I didn't have a traumatic medical experience, but still I was being like crazy hard on myself for no reason. And it was dragging me down. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. Like it doesn't always have to be like, of course, with our patients if we're in the medical setting, it'll probably be more of, like you said, traumatic experience, but for ourselves, it doesn't have to be that traumatic experience, but just like you said, like this goes back to when you were in high school or maybe even before, just like little things can build and build. And if you don't know what to do with them, Mm -hmm. they're just there and constantly growing and like more and more and more. Um, And then that's, that's no fun. But yeah, I think, I think, like you said, like being kind to yourself is so important. And I think it goes back to what you talked about before, like progress over perfectionism. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I don't know if it's that we get into the field because we're perfectionists or if we are trained to become perfectionists. But there are, you know, I would say like majority of SLPs, we, we deal with perfectionism. And it doesn't always work out so well for us. Um. Right. <laughs>
1: like, if you want to get on the fast track to burnout, like be a perfectionist in a high demanding job. Like, ew. <laughs> yeah,
0: right. It's, it's like you will get into grad school. You will do really well on the GRE. You will get into grad school. You will rock your clinicals. You'll, you know, compete to get the best spots. You'll get a job and then you'll last for like two years and be completely burnt out and just like overwhelmed and be like questioning everything that you've done. Um, so that happens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we get stuck on that road. But yeah, being being kinder to ourselves and saying, you know, being aware and being kind is is so important. And it seems so uh, like, I don't know. Like it, it when you hear people say like, you know, well, the tool I have is to be kinder to myself. It's just kind of like wah wah. Like, isn't mm-hmm. there more? <laughs> <laughs> that
1: was but it, works, but topic, it. Works, but it works. Yeah, it's like I even when I'm talking with people like about this stuff, I've. I've had to stop saying things like, I know it sounds woo-woo or just stay with me. Like I have confidence in these tools now. And the beauty of them is that they are simple. And that is what's helpful about them. Um, Like we don't need some kind of ultra complicated system to work through to learn how to manage stress or manage the stressors. Like it's very simple things like Mm -hmm. being present in that moment in a non-judgmental way. like I know that that's really helpful for me. That helps me address things and then like that strong emotion has like lost its control over me. And then I can move on and move forward. Like mm-hmm. a simple action like that has been really helpful. And the task of sitting down each day and writing like one thing I was grateful for really had a mind shift for me. I did that for a few months. And then I noticed that I'd stopped doing it, like stopped writing it, but that was because I started experiencing it throughout my day. I would have moments where I would recognize something simple or something big that w- was amazing that was I was really grateful for and I would stop in that moment and like acknowledge it and be grateful for it and then keep moving. So that practice like morphed into a daily living ritual that I'm like really happy about.
0: Oh, that is amazing. That is, um, because I do think that the practice of gratitude is, um, is so powerful
1: Mm -hmm. and,
0: and it is one of the ones that I think a lot of people, when you do it, you get the benefits from it. And like you said, it just becomes part of your life, but when you talk to people about like yeah have a gratitude journal that you do start to sometimes um worry that that they're going to be skeptical about it or be like "Mm, that's not that's not really going to work or that's not enough there has to be more but it is that simple um like rewiring like you said your mindset shifts and -hmm. you start to just notice it more and live it more and it's, it can be it can be so amazing. So I'm, I'm mm-hmm. glad that that actually is what you're experiencing with it.
1: Yeah, it was really helpful for me because I have also found I am a highly critical person. <laughs> and so I will pick up on things that aren't going right or things that could be improved or enhanced. And that can make me feel really negative about a lot of things. So doing this continual practice of gratitude helps me shift my focus where I can still be detail-oriented, but not let it be so negative.
0: Yeah, that is, that is so true. Like not uh, like clinging to it or letting it like attach to you, like just being aware of it and then kind of moving on from it.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like going back to what you were saying about how some people might be skeptical if something seems too easy or something like that, um, I have introduced these topics and these ideas to people in my practice that I'm working with as an option if they're interested, um, because I can see how the stressors of people's lives are impacting what they're coming to see me for. Um and I'll give you an example, so I'm thinking of um, like two different people who have come in. One person came in um they experienced a stroke uh, about a year or so ago, but they were still experiencing a lot of symptoms related to that um in cognition, so they felt like their memory was being affected. Another person came in and they had um a concussion, also kind of about a year ago. And they were coming back in, um, sort of similar complaints, just uh, feeling like their cognition was being affected. And so I'm talking with them and listening to their stories and their examples of how it's impacting their work life, their home life, and things like that. And they are talking about ha- having to meet really high expectations at work and feeling like they're not meeting them. I mean, that's stress. That's a lot of stress right there. Mm-hmm. And so then I'm like, in addition to the other things that we're going to do to address your issues, like, how do you feel about um, learning some stress management techniques in the realm of mindful practice? And every person I've introduced this idea to, like they are here for it. They're not, they don't like push it away. They're not like, eh, no, which I give them room to do. Like, I'm like, if this doesn't sound like something that interests you, cool, we'll move on. I've got lots of tools in my tool belt. You know, you just let me know. Right. So like, they've been really interested and they've used the tools. Like I give them the tools, we practice a little bit in session, and then I'm like, okay, now you go home and you practice these things. And if you feel like they're helping you and they're working, you know, continue. If not, <laughs> then you don't have to do them, right? Like, <laughs> so so far, like the feedback that I've gotten is like, no, they're helping. Like, I appreciate this. This is a good tool. And it's not the only thing that I'm giving them. Like, we're doing lots of other um, techniques and strategies and sessions. Um, that's just an element. Because I feel like it's useful, and I want to treat the whole person. Like I can't treat one aspect of what's impacting them, and think that that's going to be better when I haven't really addressed all the things that might be impacting their cognition.
0: Yeah, I think that that is so true and so so important. And I know that I always felt, and I mean, this was like, well, this was a long time. This was over this was like a decade or more ago, but I felt like I was alone in trying to figure out like, you know, if we're like addressing the whole person, like being very holistic about things and looking at those, you know, bringing in yoga or mindfulness in some way or breathing exercises into the practice of speech therapy. And that was one of the things that for me, I felt so strongly about having those in my life that it like, was one of the reasons that I ended up quitting and like going into that field Mm -hmm. because I felt like they didn't merge. But now uh, I do think that it's becoming much more, not popular, but like research is there it's becoming more studied and more evidence based to like, yes, these do help and they actually like benefit the patient. They get more out of everything when we can reduce the stress and their brain can, function on a on a like better level mm-hmm. as best as it can at that time so i think that's that's amazing to actually you know talk to someone who's done it because I've, yeah. I've listened to webinars but that's different than actually like hearing that someone's actually put it into practice <laughs> <laughs> yep i'm doing
1: it when it's appropriate um you know, and what I tell them is like, I am not an expert on mindful practice. And so I'm just introducing them to some techniques that they can use. And I always encourage them, like, go and explore more. There are podcasts out there. There are apps out there. There are um, newspaper articles that they can search on their phone. Like, I'm just, I'm like, do a Google search and go down that spiral, friend. Like, because, <laughs> you know, once again, I'm working with outpatients, you know, people who um, are in the community they're very most often very independent functioning and Mm so um you know i want to maintain that and increase their independent functioning right so i want to give them tools that get them started but they take over and they manage so i think it's been really helpful and at first i really struggled with should i or shouldn't i um incorporate elements of mindful practice into my suggestions and therapy. And I decided that I needed to because oftentimes in, in discussions with these patients, they weren't seeing any other providers. They, they weren't going to a social worker. They weren't going to a counselor. They weren't going to a psychologist. Um, they weren't seeing any other providers. and But they were coming to me. And I was like, well, I know these things. These are helpful. Why not share what I know and let them decide if they want to use it or not, if, it, if they think it would help them. So,
0: yeah, that's amazing. That is. And, and that is um, so true that sometimes when you're in an outpatient, and like you said, some of your patients had, you know, the event that led them to come to therapy had been over a year, had been months and months ago. So yeah, they may not be seeing anyone else anymore and being able to give them so many tools to use. It's awesome. Mm -hmm. It's just, I just, yeah, I just love that so much. So when you, um, either for your patients or yourself, what are some of the tools that you find to be, I know we talked about gratitude. What are some of the tools that you find to be the most helpful?
1: Um, One thing that I have found really helpful. Okay. It's really hard for me to be routine focused and self-disciplined. So I'm not good about anything consistent. I like to tease that like the only thing I can do on a consistent daily basis is breathe, like (laughs) guaranteed to breathe. And that's like, that's it. Everything else is up for grabs. So um, what I try to do is have moments where I am still And I do a very relaxed version of trying to be present in that moment. Um, And that can be really helpful with doing like a breathing exercise. But I, and there are lots of tools out there to like guide me in this, but I will just go in my backyard and sit in my hammock and just look up at the trees. And right now they're all green and they're beautiful and the lights filtering through. And I just, I just kind of sit and I try to be, in the now and not, not let my mind go back into the past or into the future. And I just try to have some moments in the present and I don't time it. I don't say I need to do this every day. It's just here, there, everywhere. So I'm like, (laughs) it is really helpful to do it on a regular basis, but I'm just like, this is part of my, like, self-care for me is by not forcing myself to do it on a regular basis. Because then yeah. I'll guilty and disappointed if I skip it or miss it or something like that. So.
0: Yes, that is so true that there is, um like, the stress around being stressed. And then there's the stress around, like, the perfectionism around our self-care. Like, You know, if we do it, we have to do it all the time. And I think for some people that it's helpful to like be in a, you know, like I will do a 30 day meditation or I'll do this like 21 days of this um, because it gets them into it. But then there's also some of us that feel guilt if we miss something or we get more stressed out about like, okay, so I have so much to do at work and so many things. And now on top of that, I have to do this. Mm -hmm. where if you just, like you said, you just do it when you can for whatever time you have. And whenever you feel like you need it, that it can be more beneficial. Um, and I love that you go out in your hammock and like, just like chill out and look at the trees. And, um, that's like, I love meditation kind of in that way. Mm -hmm. Um, My aunt and I would talk about when I was going through like yoga training and talking about meditation and she would tell me, she was like, I don't, she's like, I meditate, but I don't do it sitting with my eyes closed. Like that doesn't benefit me as much. She's like, but being in nature and she was like, you know, finding something that I can just be present to and focus on for like an hour, I can do that. And It just sounds like, I think she talked about like looking at hummingbirds and how she could just Mm -hmm. sit there and watch a hummingbird and not have any other thoughts come in and Mm -hmm. be completely present Mm -hmm. and feel so much better after. Mm -hmm. So I imagine it's like that, like just being there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I find nature super restoring and I'm incredibly fortunate that our, a portion of our backyard looks out into just trees. There's this really deep, like gully (laughs) right behind our house. And, um, so the only thing that can grow there or be there are just trees. Like they'll never be able to put a house there and cut off or anything. I love that. (laughs) Yeah. That was a big selling point for this house for sure. And, um, we call it like our little oasis because we are really close to the city. I mean we're in the city, but we have this beautiful patch of greenery in our backyard where, okay, are you ready for this? Like we get deer. We get um course squirrels and rabbits and foxes and there's a um I was, okay I call it oh it's a groundhog and then oh, love those. Those. oh yeah. There's a guinea hen that lives on our street like I, I
0: don't oh.
1: yeah. And That's so can, cool hummingbirds from time to time. I mean, it's like living in nature, but we're like in the city. It's wild. Yes. Um, we're,
0: we are we actually have the same, um, we're right at, well, we're in Raleigh. We're not in downtown Raleigh, North Carolina, but we're like in the city, but we, same thing, like we ended up on this like neighborhood that has trees and land, not land, but like space around your house with, mm-hmm. with trees. And um, unfortunately they did, build behind us, not unfortunately so much because we like who is behind us. They are actually friends of ours, but there were no houses when we moved in, but we are fortunate that we still have like a lot of trees in our yard and behind us where we're not just like seeing houses and we still get deer that come and visit. And
1: Mm.
0: it's just amazing to be able to be in nature and sit and watch a deer do something or watch a rabbit hop around or, you know, watch, Uh, we have a lot of owls and hawks and that is just like terrifying (laughs) and really cool at the same time. (laughs) Like I was really excited when I heard an owl and then I saw one and I was like, oh, it'll be this really, you know, cool bird. And they are just massive. And it was like, "Ah." (laughs) like that's big, (laughs) Um, but really cool. But yeah, it's, it's really, um, it can be really cool. And that is one thing that I always talk about too is like, one thing I'll tell people is like, get outside if you can, especially right now it's an, mm-hmm. if you can and take a walk outside, be in nature and, and soak that up if you're able to. Um, cause it can just be an incredibly stress relieving mm-hmm. place to be. Yeah.
1: I think the, so. the last thing that I like to try to focus on, um, is like these, basically these three things are like what I learned from you when we talked about managing stress. So it's like, um, like being mindful and journaling and movement. And so for our movement, like I love to take walks around the neighborhood. And prior to COVID-19, we played, um, pickleball regularly with a group of people that was really fun. So weekly we would go and do that. Um, so I felt like I was getting like action like year round. Um, so since the pickleball has clearly fizzled to nothing during this time, um, it's been figuring out other ways to be active and picking back up. A yoga practice, which I haven't done yet, but I'm giving myself grace for it. And I'm like any day now, Leanne, turn on that YouTube video. You can do it. You can do some yoga. It'd be good for you. You'd like it. You would. It's
0: true. But it's like, I like to think that even just the thought of doing it, like not, it's not like, you know, like, well, I watched a video, so that counts as a workout, but the thought it's like the first step, right? Mm -hmm. Like even if it's like six months of thinking like tomorrow, I'm going to do that yoga video. Like I will start doing it again. It's still the thought that's going to take you to like one day doing it. And then knowing that once you do it, it's going to be easier to do. That's I've been the same way with, um, with COVID-19 and all the changes, like we have two little, like two, like my daughter just turned four and then we have a baby. And so, I'm home with them, which is awesome because I get to be home. Like I get to spend time with them when normally like, you know, they'd be gone at preschool or, or things. And so I get to spend time with them, but then it's also super exhausting because like I spend all the time with them. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. for me, it was like, I need time to myself to, to do some self-care to meditate or to just sit and have quiet And, um, that really helps with my stress levels, but I had like, you know, I think it was like a month or more of telling myself like tomorrow I'll wake up early and I will do yoga quietly or I will meditate and I will do it. And it took forever to actually like, just do it. Mm -hmm. And then I immediately felt so much better, but it was still that like, okay, I have the intention. And there was that play of It was super stressful if I didn't do it every day, like saying, I'll do this. And then I didn't do it. I'd be like, again. Mm
1: -hmm. But
0: there was also that like hope of like, but I will do it tomorrow. And then one day I did. So it all worked out.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I think you're touching on like a really important concept that I think we like glance over from time to time. And it's the importance of like starting with your internal dialogue. And how you're talking to yourself. Um, Like, I, when I first started, I was like, oh, girl, like, you really do need to get back on your yoga practice. And, oh, my gosh, Leanne, it would be the easiest thing for you. Because, literally, you pull up a YouTube video and, boom, roll out your mat and do it. It's so simple. And so, but I was being really negative to myself about it and just being, like, like not pleasant. So. I had to change that internal dialogue and now it's like, um, how do I phrase it to myself? Because internal dialogue and then saying it out loud are like a really weird like transition to make because it's more conceptual rather than actual words I'm saying to myself. Um, So my concepts are more like approaching the action of doing yoga as like a a relaxing and enjoyable activity rather than like, this is a must, this is a have to, this is a requirement. Because I'm totally that person where you tell me I have to do something and suddenly it's the last thing I want to do. So when I can wrap it in my mind as something desirable, something enjoyable, like it's a treat to do, Mm -hmm. like I will be on board with it more.
0: Absolutely. That's how I feel about waking up early. And when I say early, it's like, in the six o'clock hour, which is not for some people, not early at all. But for me, uh, like I, my, my kids sleep, like they, they're not awake before. I mean, sometimes they're awake, but like, it's like between seven and eight, like we're, we're not up at 5.00 AM. Like a lot of parents are with little, little kids. Um, so even waking up then at like six, I, it was always, uh, in my mind, it was like, a you have to do this. Like, you have to wake up early now, and you're going to hate it. It's going to be like, ugh, it's early. Like, you don't like waking up early, but you're going to wake up early. And mm-hmm. I had to kind of shift it into, like, I want to wake up early, and I want to be doing this. Like, I I will enjoy getting up and having this time instead of, like, feeling this like, yeah, I'll do it, but it's just going to be awful. It was kind of that, like, same shift of I'm going to do this and it's going to be the most amazing thing ever. And that really, I had to shift that to be able to do it. Because I think I've actually said to someone one time, like, oh, I'm not a person that can get up early. <laughs> like, <laughs> And I think that person was like, oh, <laughs> sure. <laughs> But, I mean, it's definitely something that, um, yeah, like, shifting the mindset, shifting the the internal talk absolutely helps. And then I think it all goes back to being that, like, perfectionist, like, um, and stress just, you know, feeling like, well, what if I don't do it right? Or what if I don't do what I say I'm going to do? Then I wasn't perfect enough at it. Mm-hmm. And then when we're stressed and burnt out, like, we just get really cynical
1: Mm -hmm. in general Mm
0: -hmm. everything Mm -hmm. feels cynical we feel really negative so then we just kind of talk to ourselves in that negative way like oh yeah right like I could possibly do that and those kind of thoughts um and it's really hard to break out of that loop
1: it is yeah and I spent years in it and I will find myself doing that again because I don't know maybe it was just human nature I don't know and then I just I've also put into place a lot of other areas where I am feeding my brain with positivity and like renewing my mind with thoughts that keep me on track of being kind to myself as well as to other people. Clearly, that's what we want to do in the world. (laughs) (laughs) And like kind reminders about being present in the moment and um, practicing gratitude and being active. Like those are kind of my top three and they help me manage stress really well cuz that that's been my experience and that's what i encourage people to do like my top 3 are not going to be your top 3 you know it's right. like just like in the therapy that we provide to our patients and our clients we got to find like what works for that person um it could be a unique little cocktail or mixture or modification so
0: Yeah, absolutely, Uh, which can be hard to figure out and sometimes make you feel, like, defeated, like, well, this isn't working for me, Mm -hmm. but it's just figuring out the thing that will work for you. I know when I first started practicing yoga, like, I was really stressed out, and I didn't know why. It was in my first year as an SLP, like, I just felt really disconnected from it, and I was, like, thinking, I used to really like, this was what I wanted to do. And why is it not everything I thought it would be? And I was just like, kind of confused about everything and I felt really stressed. So I was like, well, yoga is supposed to be this, like you feel peaceful when you practice it. So I went and I like practiced, and I was like, well, I don't feel any different. (laughs) But mm-hmm. I kept going. And then one day I went and took a different type of class that I had never heard of. I think I, like, won a bid at a silent auction and went to this class. And it was, like, I felt completely, like, reset after. Like, I'd been wrung out. And it was just, like, I left feeling what I had expected to feel. And it was just, like, I just needed a different style at the time mm-hmm. to practice. Um but if I'd given up, I never would have gotten there and found the thing that really worked for me and really helped open up so many other experiences and ways to work through my stress. I probably would still be wondering if this was like the right place for me to be or wondering what was wrong with me and all of those type of things that that we get stuck in our head. So yeah, it is definitely like there are things you can do and then you figure out after playing with them, what things actually work for you.
1: Right. And like, I I mentioned earlier how, like, I, I don't like routine. I don't like to be expected to do the same thing every day. That makes me feel oppressed. I don't know. Like whatever. So I feel like at the same time though, that like I want to move in that direction where I do have a regular practice where I do make this a, a a. like a routine in my life. So that's something that I have to ease into. That's something I have to grow into. Um, So like, I'm not there yet, but I hope to be one day. I think that is actually what would be best for me. But like, I have to get over (laughs) this reaction that I have to routine right now before I can put that in place. So like, the other thing I have to keep reminding myself is this is a slow journey. I've made in my opinion really great strides in a short amount of time but I have so much farther to go. Sometimes that idea can be defeating but for me that's just the journey of life. Like why be at the end now? Like there's so much more of life to experience. And so there's so much more to experience in this journey of practicing mindfulness and man- learning how to manage stress. Like I just I get to keep going with it and I think that kind of an idea is more appealing and exciting than thinking like, why am, why am I not fixed yet? (laughs) Why haven't I figured this all out yet?
0: Yeah, that's so true. And like you said, like I get to, like I get to keep learning about this. I get to keep finding out more and more and more about it. That's, that's like a really good way to, to kind of flip how you think about it. The like, I get to do this. Um, But it's so true. I think about that a lot. Whenever I get overwhelmed with, like, or really want something to be now, or, like, I think about, like, how am I going to get from where I am to, like, what I envision or what I'm told is going to happen next. And then it's like, well, starting today, if I was to just, like, go into the end of this journey, like, that would be incredibly stressful, but it's really going to be a lot of steps along the way that slowly build and get you where you are headed and get you where you want to be. And yeah, like mindfulness is in managing your stress. It's the same type of journey. Like you don't have to start today and then tomorrow be stress-free for the rest of your life. Like that's not going to happen and that's okay. That's fun. You get to explore it.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's so much of it is mindset. And I think the other thing I had to get over was <laughs> like a, a big impetus for me learning learning about burnout, learning about why was I burnt out. Like I wanted, this is so characteristic of me. I wanted to blame everybody else. This was all everybody else's fault. Like I was blameless in this situation. I'm just over here trying to do a good job, and everyone else is making it hard for me. <laughs> and in talking with you. And Tavana and Ginger, like two other, um, actually a PT and an SLP that I had come on the podcast to talk about these things. I learned that it was my responsibility. Like I had to do the work. And okay, embarrassingly enough, I wasn't expecting that. (laughs) But I should have seen that coming. (laughs) So yeah, like you've just got to decide that you're going to step up to the plate. And do the work, but not to think of it as drudgery, but to think of it as something that you want that, yeah, it's going to help.
0: Yeah. It can be like empowering, like Mm -hmm. even, yeah. And, and I think that even if it is, because a lot of times it is like, we need to do the work and like we mentioned early on, it's not like there's anything wrong with us or we're at fault for anything, but it is like taking ownership of it and saying like, okay, this is not necessarily everyone else around me. But even when there are things that are not, um, like things with our jobs and things that are totally out of our control that are definitely not helping stress being able to not be as affected by those things is super important. So Yeah. yeah, like it is doing that work ourselves so that, we're able to to work through the things that we're putting out there, but also all the other things around us too. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like a whole it's a whole holistic big thing. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> it's nice. and it is. It is like a I you know eye opening experience when you're like, oh, I do need to do the work. <laughs>
1: right. I literally oh gosh what did I say like I just burst out in the middle of my like my podcast recording I was like what I gotta
0: do <laughs> all right fine <laughs> well awesome so speaking of doing doing the work um you do Beyond this work, beyond the mindfulness that you are are doing and and the stress management that you're doing on your own for yourself, and then that you're you know offering to the patients you work with, you do a lot of other work too, like with your own podcast, and then you've had a lot of other things recently um, in the podcast world and in the like mm-hmm. I guess like social media realm that you've been working with. So. Um, Tell us a little bit about those before we before we finish up, so we know uh, where we can find more from Leanne.
1: Okay, cool. Yeah. So, um, right. So my podcast, Speech Uncensored, is all about um, having conversations with other SLPs, PTs, OTs, um, doctors. Anyone, you know, we work with essentially in the medical field, and that includes um, pediatrics. So, SLPs who work in pediatric hospitals or um, who work with, you know, medically fragile um, children and all different levels of care. So, that's kind of where my focus is for the podcast and the conversations that we have. The goal is to always bring something actionable that you can apply to your practice, like the next day. That's my goal, is like, equipping people with tools. I'm very tool oriented. Apparently I should have been a carpenter or something. So, (laughs) (laughs) um, all right. So that's the podcast, um, associated with the podcast. Um, I have a website, speechuncensored.com where I post the show notes because I want to give you the tools to use or, Um, show you the research for you to read on your own if you want to dig a little bit deeper into the topic. So with every episode that's released, there are show notes on that website that you can learn more about the guest, the speaker that I'm interviewing, and um, like what it is we're talking about if you just want to kind of check it out before you spend the time listening to it, and then the links for the resources um, to dig deeper. Um, Some things that have grown out of that has been the Future Colleague Collaborative, Mm -hmm. and that started basically in a response to all the graduate students who had their internships abruptly ended or never even started because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, They they lost out on that, you know, like hands-on patient care with a supervisor that is really like crucial. Like we need that. Mm -hmm. It it builds our experience. It builds our confidence, ideally, you know, before we get out into the field. And my own student had her semester, you know, abruptly ended because of that. So, you know, I was just on Instagram where I spend like way too much of my time. (laughs) Um, And then, so... Like in a conversation that started on my stories, like all these students just were talking about they had to switch over to doing SIMU case and they weren't very pleased with it for a myriad of reasons. And so I was like, well, how can we help? Like we know things we can share. And so um, another SLP like messaged me and let me know about this idea for SLPs to just do like a 30 minute presentation, share a case study, like applying what they just presented on and like having kind of an ongoing like social media, like conversation with students. So connecting students with practitioners who wanted to continue to give and to support their learning. And so for the month of May, that's what we did. Um, I partnered with Teresa Richards of the Swallow Your Pride podcast. And um, we did two, Speakers a night, three days a week for the entire month of May.
0: Well, this is the point in our interview where we ran into a major technical glitch, also known as a power outage. And with the way that our schedules are and all that is going on in the world, and just kind of the hectic pace that things are at, this is where we end our interview. So I want to say thank you, Leanne, for all that you do for your fellow SLPs and for future SLPs. And thank you for providing the resources and connections that are so needed in our field in order for us to feel less stressed and to feel that we are connected to each other and that we know what we're doing and we're able to find the resources we need to do the work that we are here to do. If you're looking for more from Leanne, make sure to check out SpeechUncensored.com and the Speech Uncensored podcast. You can also follow Leanne on Instagram at Speech Uncensored, where you will see all of the amazing things that she is up to to help support fellow SLPs in our field. And thank you for tuning in. Are you ready to truly manage your stress reduce burnout, and finally find more balance in your life? Well, the SLP Stress Management course is here to help you do just that. In this eight-week course, you'll take a deep dive into what stress is and why it affects SLPs so much, as well as learn practical stress management tools as you build a step-by-step System that works for your stress and your daily needs. You can check this out now at jessieandrix.com and I hope to see you in the course.